The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Well, welcome to the Forum at 8. And as indicated just before the 8 o'clock news there, um, the ad hoc uh, committee in Parliament uh, who are currently meeting uh, f- uh, to interview candidates for the position of public protector are getting off uh, to a bit of a rocky start there because of some disagreements. And uh, we're going to dip into that uh, feed right now uh, just to hear Dr. Makosi Koza, chairperson of the committee, who is currently speaking. Thank you. Well, she's just uh, taken a pause there. And we're crossing over now to our uh, reporter in Parliament, Zaline Merrington. Zaline, um seemed rather dramatic what was going on on TV right now. So tell us what transpired. Sakina, I think um, nowadays Parliament is dramatic. It's, uh, you, you rarely nowadays find where a committee or a sitting is boring. Um, so everything seems to be very dramatic nowadays, particularly where the EFF is involved. Um, the Floyd Chibambo, the chief whip of the EFF, has raised concerns over what he says is an inadequate process to shortlist and interview the candidates for public protector. It is going to be a long day. The first candidate um, will probably, the interview will probably start soon. Um, but the first one starts, I think, in the next five minutes, and then the last one is scheduled to start at 11 o'clock this evening. And already, actually, the committee is um, 15, 20 minutes behind um, on, the, on its program. So it is definitely going to be a long day. The DA also objected to um, the long uh, uh, schedule ahead of them. But the chairperson is saying that this was a decision that the committee made at the previous meeting, and she says there was just no time um, in the meanwhile to schedule a special meeting for them to discuss this. Um, the DA and uh, EFF raised the objections, and the chairperson, Makosi Koza, is saying they must go ahead, uh, but she notes the objections from these two opposition parties. So still on those concerns, uh, because uh, it, uh, as you explained to us earlier, they will be in this holding room where there will be no TV to give an unfair advantage. But what about other gadgets like uh, phones, uh, you know, access to the Internet? Because there are many other ways for people to still get mm. a hold of that information. Mm. That is actually very interesting. When I spoke to the chairperson yesterday to ask her about this, and she explained to me that they will be in sort of a, a locked, uh, locked up situation in a holding room. She said they will be flexible. That's her word. She said that they will allow for them to bring in their laptops, bring in any device that they want. Um, and, and I mean, they will have their phones, you know, uh, they will have access to the internet while they are there, even though they won't have access to the TV channel. Um, but one of the qualities that they are looking for in a public protector is, of course, integrity and if it happens that they do stream live um, using one of their devices during this lock-up period, I'm sure MPs um, will hold that against them. Um, and, and, of course, they expected these people to be honest and have integrity. So um, I don't know if this could possibly be uh, a, a test from the committee side, but integrity is definitely one of the things that they will be looking for in this candidate. Zaline, as has the order changed at all? Do we know who will be going first? Because I see the first candidate has already uh, entered. Do we know who it is? Um, it seems like they are sticking to the program. Um, they did not announce any change to that list. 
Um, I am outside of the chamber at the moment, but um, if we are going to, according to the program, and that is, it, it, all indications are that we're going with that provisional list, is a uh, advocate, Michael Mtembu, that will start the interviews. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Zaline, who will be keeping tabs on proceedings in Parliament for us today as uh, the uh, ad hoc committee gets underway in those interviews uh, to choose, uh, select the next public protector of South Africa. So uh, we're just going to dip into that feed once again uh, to give you a sense of what is going on in Parliament at the moment. And advocate uh, Msaliseni Mtembu is currently being interviewed of the High Court of South Africa in Durban for a period of 20 years. In 1999, I was appointed by the University of KwaZulu-Natal as a senior lecturer in the Department of Private Law in the Faculty of Law, lecturing in in areas such as jurisprudence, general principles of contract, advanced delict, African customary law. I was in academia as a senior lecturer for one year. In 2002, I approached the High Court and applied for admission as an advocate of the High Court of South Africa. I was admitted as such and practiced as an advocate and a member of the Durban Bar for more than 10 years. In 2007, I was appointed by the Minister of Justice and Constitutional Development as an acting judge in the Eastern Cape Division of the High Court of South Africa from 2007 to 2013. In 2011, I was nominated for a position of a judge in the, in the Electoral Court. I appeared before the Judicial Service Commission, interviewed, and on the recommendations of the Judicial Service Commission, the... His Excellency the President appointed me to a position of a judge in the Electoral Court. That is where I currently serve. Before I touch on matters more pertinent to the position of public protector, I would like to touch on additional training in other fields of study. In 1984, I was awarded a scholarship by the United States government in conjunction with what is known as Operation Crossroads Africa, to study American legal institutions and jurisprudence in the United States. In March 1993, I was awarded a scholarship to undertake diplomas and diplomatic training which was sponsored by the Commonwealth of Nations in Zimbabwe. In November 1995, I was awarded a scholarship by the Kellogg Foundation based in D.C. in Washington to attend and participate in training on leadership based on the concept of on the concepts, on, on, on the theme, Concepts and Challenges of Leadership. It was in Salzburg in Austria. <clears throat> in November 1996, I was nominated by the Independent Mediation Service of South Africa for mediation training. I qualified as a mediator, focusing specifically on community conflict dispute resolution. The other nominations I've had is that in 1996, I was nominated as Chancellor and chairperson of the governing council of Adams College of Education, Amazon Doty. And in March 2000, 
was appointed by the Minister of Home Affairs as, me, as a member of the Immigration Selection Board. <clears throat> in April 2004, I was appointed by the Independent Electoral Commission as an election observer to observe and monitor the 2004 general elections. <clears throat> The other appointments is that in February 1999, I was appointed by the MS of Transport as a member of the KwaZulu-Natal Interim Minibus Taxi Tribunal. In December 1998, I was appointed by the MEC for Finance and Development Corporate and Development in KwaZulu-Natal to serve as a member of the KwaZulu-Natal Tender Appeals Tribunal. In 2001, I was appointed by the chairperson of the Broadcasting Monitoring Complaints Committee, the late advocate Jules Broud, as a member of the Broadcasting Monitoring Complaints Committee. A com- this is a committee of ICASA. <clears throat> I was a member, as an attorney, I was a member of the Guazul Natal Law Society and a member of the Black Lawyers Association a member of the Society of Advocates of KwaZulu-Natal, and a member of the, transfer, of the Advocates for Transformation. <clears throat> then in 1987, and again in 1997... I was by- and uh, welcome back to the Forum at 8, and uh, that is Advocate Mshaliseni Mtembu. And uh, what we're listening to is, of course, the Parliamentary Ad Hoc Committee uh, sitting in Parliament this morning to interview 14 candidates who are vying for the position of public protector. This as advocate Tuli Matoncela's non-renewable seven-year term ends in October 2016. Now, on the forum this morning, we invite you to tell us who you think should be the next public protector. And if uh, we also want to know, I guess more importantly, why you think that person would be the best candidate uh, for, uh, to be our next public protector. And uh, we are joined this morning for this discussion by Lawson Naidu, who's the Executive Secretary at the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, KSAC. Thanks for speaking to us, Lawson. Good morning, Sakina. Thank you. And we also have Leanne Govensami, who is Head of Legal and Investigations at Corruption Watch. Thanks for coming through, Leanne. Thank you. So, uh, first candidate there, and uh, of course, you know, um, it got off to quite an interesting start. And um, do you think, Lawson, that's any indication of how things will progress throughout these proceedings? Well, I think I think it certainly does, Sakina. And I think, you know, the, the fact that uh, not just the members of the committee this morning, but civil society organizations, including Corruption Watch and, and KSAC, have raised serious concerns with the committee about the process. And whilst we have uh, now focused on the fact that this grueling and punishing schedule for today, seeing 14 interviews in one day, uh, is unfair on the candidates, uh, the, the, the committee has also really not carried out their work in a structured and, and, and a logical way. The shortlisting was done in a very haphazard manner. And whilst the committee chair this morning was at pains to point out that they did take into consideration the views of the public and civil society, that was not evident from the committee meeting on the 13th of July when they did the shortlisting itself. It appeared to be at the end of the day that the parties just put up their hands and nominated candidates without really motivating as to why they were nominating them. So I think you know there are serious concerns about the integrity of the process, about the fairness of the process on candidates. Uh, I mean, can you imagine the first the candidate who's going to be interviewed last this evening at, at approximately 11 p.m.? 
having to sit in the holding room from 7 o'clock this morning. What sort of mental state is that person going to be in to be able to give the best of herself at that time? Mm. And then and concerns also being raised about uh, an unfair advantage, perhaps, uh, to those who will be coming later on. Well, you know, uh, to be honest, Akina, if, if candidates of this caliber cannot anticipate the kinds of questions that are going to be asked, then they, they frankly do not deserve to be shortlisted. Uh, it's not rocket science to know what the committee is going to ask you about your skills and attributes suitable for the job, uh, going through your CV and any anomalies in your CV, picking up things like that. So uh, I really don't think that's a sufficient justification uh, to do so. I mean, you know, if, if candidates are going to you know, copy what has been said earlier, the, the committee will be very quick to pick up on that and, and, can, and can then draw the appropriate conclusions about that candidate. And of course, uh, Tulima Donsela, uh, Advocate Tulima Donsela, the outgoing public protector, um, under her watch, uh, the profile of this office has really been raised. And uh, South Africans uh, and their um, belief, you know, their trust in this office is really at an all-time high, So, which places uh, undoubtedly more pressure on the next person coming into this office to uphold these very high standards. But um, when we are looking at these candidates, what sort of a criteria uh, do you think uh, the committee would be looking for for the person who is going to step into Tuli's shoes? Well, uh Sakina, I think, you know, let, let, this is the, the fourth public protector that we'll be appointing in, in a democratic South Africa. The three that have gone before was uh, Advocate Selby Bakwa, Advocate uh, Lawrence Mashwana, and uh, most recently, Advocate Tuli Madonsela. And I think, you know, you correctly point out that the bar has been raised significantly uh, by the outgoing public protector, Advocate Madonsela. Um, and I think this has generated the levels of public interest in this uh, interview process because the public have come to realize the importance of this office in consolidating uh, uh, our constitutional democracy, in holding the executive to account, especially in the light of the various failures of parliament to hold the executive to account. So I think that has generated the kinds of public interest in the position, and I think that that is good for our democracy. And it means that as a, as a nation, we're going to be more demanding of the kind of person that is, that is appointed to this position, that they must demonstrate the attributes of not just uh, ticking the boxes in terms of their qualifications, but the right personal attributes in terms of integrity, independence, robustness, and strength to be able to do the job, not just for, for now, but for over the next seven years. But what are the legislated, uh, legislated minimum requirements for the public protector? Well, it's that it must be a South African citizen. It must be uh, uh, either a high court judge or uh, a legal professional that has uh, uh, 10 years' experience either as an advocate, an attorney, or as a, a legal academic, or a combination of, of experience in the public sector um, uh, over a period of 10 years. Uh, the Public Protector Act was amended um, um, uh, to, uh, to include the fact that members of parliament were eligible, and that was specifically uh, to, uh, to facilitate the appointment of Advocate Lawrence Mushwana as the, uh, as the public protector. Uh, I, for one, believe that it would be inappropriate for anyone who has served as an MP to be able to, be, to serve uh, as the public protector. Uh, but I think the core uh, issue is that it needs to be someone with... with uh, uh, in-depth legal skills, uh, knowledge of public administration, but most importantly is demonstrating the independence and robustness to be able to, to carry on the job, to be 
uh, proved to, to be insulated from, uh, from external political influence and to do the job as the Constitution and the law requires. Now, civil society groups have also been very active um, and participating in this uh, particular process, um, despite some of the concerns that have been raised. Uh, and uh, currently, uh, we're looking at Advocate Mtlalisenium uh, Tembu and uh, Leanne Govansami from um, Corruption Watch. Corruption Watch uh, went on... Uh, into this uh, process where they went and looked at each one of the shortlisted candidates uh, to do a background check, as it were, on each one of them. So uh, the candidate who is currently before the committee, Advocate Mtembo, what can you tell us about him? Well, he is um, an advocate and he is currently serving as a judge in the electoral court. And what we and he's been serving in that position since 2011. Um, you know, he's got, he's got quite a prolific kind of record in terms of, you know, his legal abilities and, and how he's been involved in various commissions. Now at the electoral court, he's very qualified. So that's what we've been able to find about him. He previously applied for the position of public protector. Um, this is when Advocate Madancella was appointed and obviously he was unsuccessful. Um, the only, I guess, you know, possibly interesting or, um, you know, difficult thing about him is that our background searches reveal that he's got um, kind of judgments against him, you know, in respect of monetary um, judgments that he needs. He's owed SARS and Nedbank certain amounts of money, um, and they've obtained default judgments against him. And it's up to the committee. This has been provided to the committee, and it's up to the committee then to decide, you know, to what extent do they take these kinds of credit histories, you know, default judgments into account mm. in making an assessment of candidates. Uh, 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 Lawson, I'm interested to hear from you about this, you know, uh, talking about default judgments and credit history uh, for the public protector. How does that impact on his chances then? Well, I think firstly, uh, Sakina, it speaks to what I was talking about earlier, the, the, the rigor and thoroughness of the committee's approach in shortlisting the candidates. I mean, somebody who's got default judgments against them, in my opinion, should not have been shortlisted. We as South Africans expect our public protector to be beyond reproach, and you know if the com- you know and, uh, if the committee is shortlisting people that have these uh, skeletons in their closets, then uh, you know I, I think it does expose the um, uh, the process the committee has followed, and and it really means that and, you know and and I think it demonstrates the value of civil society's participation in the process, and in particular the work that Corruption Watch and a coalition of civil society organisations have engaged in to dig beneath the surface and, and find this information and present it to the committee. So, so based uh, on I that, would you so say that, you know, right off the bat, uh, Mtembu would not be a suitable candidate then? Well, I think, you know, these default judgments, I haven't looked at them in detail, but if, you know, if, if you've got default judgments against you, it means you've not cooperated with the, with the courts when a summons was issued, you ignored a summons, and, you know, is that the kind of person we want as public protector? Well, and that's what we're asking our listeners, Leah. You know, it, it's really important, and I and agree with everything that Lawson is saying, because what we should lo- be looking for here is the very, very best candidate. Advocate Madancela has set the standards so high that these kinds of issues should kind of automatically disqualify somebody, you know, because of the fact that this office is so revered 
and the fact that the public needs to have confidence in this person. So when it comes to issues of integrity, that I think is so vital um, in the committee considering how the public views them. So this is really important. And Tlolani uh, Sikade says, Mchembu is the same judge who found the Tlokwe by-elections uh, were not rigged. So all of these things, of course, uh, will be scrutinized uh, by the panel, one would think. Uh, but uh, that one there, and I want us to move on because I want us to touch on all the 14 shortlisted candidates, if we can. Uh, judge uh, Cerise Wiener, tell us about her. Who is she, uh, Leanne? Okay, so Judge Wiener... Um, you know, we have looked at her, the, some of the judgments that she's handed down. We've looked at, you know, um, some of the articles, the academic articles that she's uh, written. And from what we've been able to tell, you know, she's, um, she's currently a judge in the high court. She was previously a senior advocate. Um, she's got a very good record as a judge. You know, she hands down judgments quite quickly. Um, you know, she's shown that she's very concerned about, um, you know, making judgments that are very much in the public interest that support freedom of expression, um, you know. And, you know, this reveals a lot about her character, we believe. And we've not been able to find any kind of risk factors related to her. Um, you know, she has some business interests, but not anything that raises any risks. So, you know, from our perspective, we think that she's a really good candidate um, and she's revealed that she's got a good character, that she's able to apply the law um, in, a, in a very robust manner um, and also take into account, you know, what serves the public interest at the end of the day. Lawson, what's your take on Judge Wiener? Well, again, I mean, I agree with Leanne Summary there. You know, she's, she ticks all the boxes in terms of the relevant experience <coughs> and so on. So I think, you know, the, the committee will focus on her suitability for the office. Uh, there appear to be no skeletons in her closet. And it would, you know, they will hopefully focus in on her ability to do the job and interrogate that aspect of her character. We know that her, her qualifications stand her in good stead. So I think you know that yeah we can have a much more con- we would hopefully have a much more constructive uh, engagement with the with with the candidate during the uh, interview process. The next judge is uh, Sirajuddin Desai. So Leanne, oh, Siraj Desai, <laughs> we've met, I mean I think you know the information that we've obtained about him is very much. Um, already in the public domain. You know, he's a judge of the high court. He's very experienced. Um, you know, he was admitted as an advocate in 1981. So, you know, he's got a lot of experience. Um, however, we've, we've identified several risk factors just based on what's in the public domain. Um, you know, he has been reported, um, to, to the JSC, um, by uh, the Pan-Africanist Congress chairperson, Tommy Plaiki, um, you know, who said that he didn't have an impeccable character that is required for a judge. Um, and this is in relation to various incidents. Um, you know, when he was in Mumbai in 2004, he was accused of raping a South African AIDS activist during the World Social Forum. Um, he initially denied it, later said it was consensual. Um, you know, those charges were later dropped. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't really an interrogation of those charges. Um, you know, there's also issues related to 
um, you know, certain judgments that he's handed down, um, certain comments that he's made about um, def- respondents and applicants in those matters. Um, and, you know, there have been criticisms uh, of him, even by former judges. And this is quite relevant because I think, you know, this is all goes back to what does the public think about this particular candidate? Do they have faith in him being able to protect the public from abuses of power, etc.? And, you know, these are the kinds of things that we've found in relation to him. And again, um, you know, as Lawson has said, had the committee looked at all of this information before making the shortlist, I'm not sure that he should have been included. You know, they've made statements like, if he's a judge, it means that he's already of impeccable character, that he's fit and proper. And we've seen um, through these various allegations that that's not necessarily so. Um, so, mm. you know, this is questionable. Especially the issue of uh, being a fit and proper person. And yes. uh, we'll, we'll come back. We'll talk more about all of this. And as I say, we're going to try and run through all 14 candidates to see uh, what uh, Corruption Watch has managed to unearth about them and also hear from KSEX, Lawson, Naidu. And we want to hear from you. 891 What are your views on not just the processes, but what are your expectations from the public protector? And who of these candidates do you think fits the bill? and why and um, apologies uh, for the online streaming we are working on it and uh, we'll try and resolve that issue as soon as possible Sloni uh, who is watching says Glennis Breitenbach is tearing advocate um, Tembo apart failed to pay Nedbank loan and never disclosed and that is what Leanne uh, was sharing with us and they all of course have an hour for each of these candidates um, Chris Maxson says this process must mark the start of reflections and a redefinition in earnest of of the cadre befitting the service, uh, uh, befitting to serve the public, and I think that would be one of the positive things to come out of this, where the public are more involved in um, uh, uh, selecting the various candidates. And um, just want to go to Roshni Munsami quickly, uh, calling in about uh, this particular process and the candidates. But before I take Roshni, uh, perhaps just to respond to an earlier listener who wanted to know who the fourteen candidates were. So. Um, the ones that we started with, uh, the candidate currently being interviewed, Advocate Msaliseni um, Tembu, then there's Judge uh, Sharice Wiener, Judge Sirajuddin Desai, Advocate uh, Kevin Malunga, there's Advocate uh, Nongkosi Kechwayo, uh, also Advocate Mamiki Goodman, um, Adjunct Professor Narina Bola-Miller, Professor Bongani Majola, Ms. Busisiwe Mkwebane, uh, Ms. Jill Oliphant, uh, Ms. Uh, Mubango Lukaimani, and uh, Ms. Kajal uh, Ramjanath Kio, and Mr. Willie Hoffmeyer. Those are the 14 candidates uh, that we are talking about. But uh, before we get back uh, to looking at the profiles of the other candidates, let's just hear from Roshni quickly. Good morning, Roshni. Hi, good morning, Sakina. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, my quick thing is, I did um, raise an official objection to the committee regarding Judge Desai. I'm an ordinary member of public. Um, it, during the course of over a year and a half ago, we tried to get out a tenant, an illegal tenant, and the long and short of it is, Judge Desai, you know, allowed the tenant to continue to stay, even though um, we had got a Supreme Court order. Then the guy appealed, and he still allowed him to stay until this private person then appealed to the filed papers to the Constitutional Court. Of course, the Constitutional Court ruled in our favor. I'm an ordinary member of public. 
I had to then submit and do all the filing myself. Um, I then raised a complaint with the Judicial Services Commission. I think they're pretty embarrassed because it's like over one and a half years. I sent it at the end of February. They have never disregarded the complaint because it's lots of validity in the complaint. And he has never replied. They've sent constant um, emails. I get um, CC'd on this correspondence. So if he doesn't even respect the Judicial Services Commission, I really don't know who he does, he does respect. Thank you so much, Roshni. And um, I'll get comment on that, uh, but also uh, uh, on Advocate Mtembo, uh, I've got a comment here from Gobeni who says, but financial judgments are inherent to the struggle of a black man. Um, I would look at what happened after the judgment, uh, says Ngobeni, and O.J. Mwale also on that says, it's unfair to expect a previously poor, disadvantaged, 60-plus-year-old individual to be free of SARS credit defaults. So maybe if I could just get quick comment on that, Lawson. On uh, Mr. Mtemble, firstly, I mean, I think, you know, uh, we can't have different standards here. Uh, you know, this is an incredibly important position in, in our constitutional democracy, and we need to aspire to the highest standards of integrity and probity. And I think that that principle applies equal, equally to uh, Judge Desai in terms of the issues that have been raised, including by your last caller, Roshni. And I think the issue here is that perceptions of independence and probity are very, very important. This, after all, is the public protector. We, as the public, must have confidence in that person. And if there are overriding perceptions that that person is not independent, is not beyond reproach, then uh, there ought to be serious question marks as to whether they are fit for this office. Well, um, I just want to uh, continue there on, oh, uh, by the way, on uh, uh, Judge uh, Siraj Desai that Roshni was talking about. So if the objection was raised, why then uh, wasn't it taken into consideration? Why did he make the shortlist? You know, this is a really important point because when that particular shortlisting was happening, it seemed to be a very artificial process. Members literally put up their hands and said, we want this particular person. There was no evaluation of their CVs, questioning of the documents and the submissions that were made by the public. And, you know, as Corruption Watch, we submitted a very long document that detailed Every single one of those individuals that, you know, had been on the initial kind of list, the the, the 60 plus individuals, and there was no real engagement with those issues. And it was very disappointing. And, you know, we understand that a lot of individuals and other institutions had raised objections. Those objections were not discussed as part of the shortlisting process. Um, and it, it was it was highly artificial in our mm. view. Which speaks then to some of the skepticism that some of our listeners are raising. Peter Lawton says this public protector selection process is just window dressing. Candidates and panel uh, will be below par after just a few hours. Hours. And Don Fraser, I read this earlier, but I want to read it again. He says, uh, don't be so naive. Uh, the Zuma and Guptas have selected the next public protector months ago. These interviews are just a farce. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, these sort of sentiments that um, Leanne is raising now feeds into that sort of skepticism, uh, Lawson. Uh, absolutely, it does. And I think that's why it's important for, for the committee to go through a, a very thorough process in order to deal with that level of skepticism that exists. And, you know, it is a level of skepticism that, that exists within a society about processes in Parliament. Uh, given the experience we've had over the last few years where Parliament 
has failed to to uh, to carry out its constitutional responsibilities properly. There is there is uh, skepticism about how it goes about doing its work. And what Leanne has just spoken about the the haphazard manner in which the, the committee conducted the shortlisting. Unfortunately, uh, whilst uh, the EFF's uh, Claude Chivambo this morning raised very, very valid concerns about that process, unfortunately, I don't think the EFF were present at that shortlisting meeting on the 13th of July, uh, when perhaps these issues should have been raised uh, up front by members of the committee. Um, you know, and I think that you know it, it is it is ending up being a political process rather than a rigorous process to find the best available candidate. Mm. I think just to add on to that, whilst the uh, constitution and the rules of parliament um, set out for this kind of public uh, participatory process and and says, you know, this is a process that is required for these kinds of, you know, appointments, chapter nine institution appointments, etc. It doesn't squarely define the rest of the processes that a committee must follow. The committee itself has to um, come up with its own process on a case-by-case basis. Obviously, they look back and they say, how did previous committees conduct themselves? But perhaps an important point is that this needs to be uh, specified in very um, kind of you know, proper detail in the rules of parliament in order to standardize these processes. Because at the moment, the committees are left almost by themselves to to see how they want to run these processes. And maybe this is a result of it. Mm. Uh, a few quick comments. Uh, Luvuyo says, uh, it can't be that when you have raised an objection, that amounts to a person being disqualified and not being shortlisted. No. And and I don't think that's what everybody is saying. It's not an automatic uh, disqualification. That's not what anybody's implying. What people are saying is that if the objections are raised, then uh, obviously at the very least, there should be an interrogation of the veracity of the claims that are leveled against that candidate. And if uh, those claims are found to be true, then there needs to be some or other action, some response to that. Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. There has to be an interrogation. There has to be a very close look at these candidates. It's a seven-year term. This is one of the most important offices that we have in the country in respect of having an anti-corruption mandate. So the responsibilities of these of, of the person appointed everyone understand it's it's so important and if the committee themselves and the members of these committees are not interrogating these individuals then you know, there's potential for so many to, to kind of fly under the radar, as we've seen. Mm. KTM says, how do we expect the public protector candidates to be above reproach when the appointment committee is made up of questionable individuals? <laughs> That's a, also a very important point, because we looked at the committee members themselves and we asked ourselves kind of, you know, are these members going to be biased in any way? You know, I think that the chair has done a really good job in terms of saying, look, this is the process and and we're going to be transparent and they have been transparent. But again, there should be an opportunity for the public, for civil society to engage more around the members of these committees and whether there is a comfort around the very people who have the responsibility for making that appointment. Mm. And we want to hear from you. 891 Bupilo says, um, can you ask Lawson to explain how having a default judgment would impact on one's independence? Lawson? Well, it, it, it speaks to the, uh, to the characteristics of the person as a whole. If you have a default judgment, it means that you've been served with the summons, you've ignored the summons, 
and the court has found uh, against you without you uh, choosing to, to defend yourself. So it's ignoring a court process. And, and therefore, on that very basis, I would say that that person uh, is not fit to be public protector uh, because you've, 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 you've disregarded the, 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 the functioning of the courts. You're basically holding the rule of law in contempt. So it, 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 for me, it's a very, very serious issue. Well, I just want to, uh, something that just uh, caught my attention on my Twitter feed. Uh, someone sent a tweet earlier about uh, advocate Kevin Malunga, and that's the candidate I want us to look at next, uh, uh, saying that uh, Kevin Malunga is his choice uh, for the appointment uh, to this office. Uh, and uh, I see Kevin's Fiso Malunga actually liked that tweet. So clearly they have access to Twitter. That I can tell you for a fact right now. Unless he's going to come out and say his account has been hacked. So um, uh, let me just uh, move on there. Uh, let's talk about uh, Advocate Malunga, who is currently the deputy to Tulima Donsela. Yes. Okay. Um, so Advocate Malunga, um, you know, he became an advocate in the high court in 2005. Um, you know, he was a lecturer um, at WITS. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got a very good academic background and history. Um, you know, he's served on several commissions. He's worked previously at the Office of the Chief Justice. Um, and obviously now, as you've said, Deputy Public Protector. Um, you know, there's been a few issues raised in relation to him. Um, the one is that kind of stands out is that in a recent Business Day report, um, you know, there was an issue that he'd failed to disclose to the committee. So each um, candidate must fill in a questionnaire, uh, which requires them to make disclosures around kind of their employment history, um, anything that is important for the committee to take into account. Um, and he hadn't disclosed, um, you know, that he'd actually, um, you know, been he, he was on probation. So lecturers are placed on probation for a period of three years, um, you know, when they, you know, are, uh, for example, when he was at WITS. And during this probation period, um, the WITS law school um, didn't um, renew his contract. So essentially, he was forced to leave. And this was because he'd failed to meet the requirements of publishing an article, um, you know, within a certain number of months and kind of periodically as is required during that probationary period. And we think that this is really important because it speaks to his own integrity and his character in failing to disclose that information. Again, we are not saying people must be automatically disqualified, but where somebody doesn't disclose really important information, it's it's something that raises kind of the alarms and raises red flags. There's also been issues in relation to certain comments that he's made in the media, um, you know, about political situations, um, you know, about certain legal views that he has that, um, you know, other legal commentators have distanced themselves from. and Such know, as? So in particular, he, um, he had in 2009 expressed support uh, for former President Mohlantle's um, decision to axe Vusip Koli as National Director of Public Pro- Prosecutions. Um, and he was saying that it was a political decision and it must be uh, respected as such. Um, you know, in 2011, when Zuma appointed uh, Menzi Samalani as NDPP, um, 
which was later declared invalid, um, you know, he rushed to the pre- president's de- defense and he said it's a wake-up call about the inadequate nature of the legal advisors surrounding President Zuma rather than any failing on his part. Um, and, you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was subsequently a judgment that looked into those very issues and found, you know, those issues to be contrary. Um, so, you know, there's, there's questions around, um, you know, potentially political bias, potentially his own kind of legal views, um, you know, the issue around the non-disclosure um, about having been forced to leave the Vitz Law School is, is a particularly mm. difficult one. And uh, speaking to Business Day, when asked about uh, why he did not disclose that information about the dismissal, um, he responded, and I quote, I decided to move on with my life. I put it behind me and I have excelled ever since. Close that quote. You know, we completely appreciate that, you know, Everyone, you know, employees in any in any particular job, you will experience issues, you will experience difficulties. But here there was a particular requirement for you to disclose your employment history in full. And he failed to do so and really does speak to his own integrity of character. Was he trying to conceal this from the committee, from the public eye? Um, and given the nature of this position, uh, we believe that it's, it's uh, something that's important to take into account. Mm. And uh, time not being very kind to us here this morning. Uh, so, Leanne, I'm going to ask us to just run very smoothly and quickly through uh, the others and, uh, you know, just perhaps uh, uh, pick out the salient bits of information uh, that uh, we ought to know about them. Advocate Nongkosi uh, Kechwayo. Okay. Um, I, just want to, uh, I just want to go back because in case we miss um, people. So Mamiki mm-hmm. Goodman, um, she was uh, formerly the Deputy Public Protector from 2005 to 2012. She applied for the PP position in 2009. She was unsuccessful. Issues in relation to her is that she had accused uh, former Public Protector Lawrence Mashwana of sexually harassing her and other female co- uh, colleagues. He refuted the claims. Um, later, an ad hoc committee, um, which was established to look into operational problems at the office of the PP, found that her claims were unsubstantiated. Um, in 2012, um, under the uh, the current public protector, she accused uh, Advocate Madan Sela, um, you know, of kind of being biased. Um, you know, she she raised a lot of issues in relation to other employees. Parliament's own Justice Committee found those allegations to be office politics and said that she had not been a happy camper during her tenure as Deputy PP. Um, she didn't disclose this um, in the questionnaire. Uh, with Nankosi, um, the uh, Princess Setwayo, um, she's quite an interesting uh, candidate. Um, she's currently employed as the Sheriff of the Belleville High Court. She's quite, uh, got quite a good history in terms of her academic history um, and, you know, her, her employment history. Um, and we haven't really found anything particularly kind of any risk factors in relation to her. Um, Nania Bola Miller, um, she's the executive director of the Human Science Research Council. Um, you know, she's, from what we've seen, she's an academic with significant research um, output. Um, we haven't found any risk factors in relation to her. She's written um, prolifically, um, kind of academic, academically. Um, if we go on to the next um, candidate, Muvanga Lukaimane. 
She is currently serving as the pension funds adjudicator, and she's again a very interesting candidate. She's an advocate of the High Court. Um, you know, she started um, initially, uh, or she was initially employed at, at the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund, and she was promoted to the post of pension funds adjudicator by Praveen Godan after one year as deputy adjudicator. And she has been commended for clearing the backlog of complaints at, at the office of the pension fund adjudicator in 15 months. So, you know, in terms of being able to handle processes and clear backlogs, which is very interesting from that perspective. Um, we haven't really found anything in relation to her about, you know, risk factors. Um, and mm-hmm. we noted, you know, her, her, her work as the pension funds adjudicator. If we look at uh, Bongani Majola, a very impressive candidate, he's an advocate of the high court. Um, you know, he, he's got really, really good kind of employment history. Um, he was the national director of the Legal Resources Center for several years. Um, you know, he was the deputy chief prosecutor later on as, at the UN International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, promoted then to assistant secretary general at the UN. Um, he was uh, nominated for the position in 2002, but but declined, obviously because he was, you know, in other positions at the time. We haven't found any risk factors in relation to him. We think he's an excellent candidate. Um, you know, he did disclose, importantly, he did disclose in the questionnaire to Parliament that he had been investigated um, by the in 2014 by the Office of Internal in oversight based in Nairobi as a result of a complaint lodged by a whistleblower at the United Nations Secretariat. Um, and though that complaint was investigated in terms of the UN rules um, and there was no wrongdoing found in relation to him. Uh, Willi Hofmeyer, the public is very, uh, you know, knows him quite well mm. as head of the asset forfeiture unit. Um, you know, again, a very uh, good candidate and um we haven't found any particularly kind of risky issues in relation to him. Um, we know that he played a central role in dropping corruption charges against uh, President Zuma. Um, and he's, you know, according to media reports, his sudden exit from the AFU is said to have been a result of his support of our former NDPP, Nkolisi uh, Nkasana. And, um, yeah, he was removed as, as the SI head of the SIU in 2011, apparently um, for assisting the public protector's investigation involving cabinet ministers. Um, Jill Oliphant, we haven't really picked up any risk factors in relation uh, to Jill Oliphant. She's currently shareholder and director of DMO Incorporated. It's a law firm. Um, She's got a very strong legal and financial background. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, okay, Michael Ntembu, we've discussed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Busisiwe Mkwembane, she's the Director of Country Information and Cooperation uh, Management at the Department of Home Affairs. Um, you know, she's also got a strong background. We haven't picked up anything in relation to her. And the final one. Chris Mokaditoire. Oh, that's a, okay. It's a, almost final. Almost final. <laughs> <laughs> Has been an advocate of the High Court. Um, he was shortlisted in 2002 um, and has been uh, was obviously unsuccessful at the time Lawrence Mishwana was appointed. 
Um, he's got business interests, but we haven't identified any particular risk factors in relation to him. Kajal Ramjathan Kyog, um, currently the executive director at the Southern African Litigation Center. Again, a very good legal background. Uh, we haven't picked up any risk factors in relation to her. Okay, let's hear from our listeners. Stay me so in Chatsworth. Good morning. Hi, very good morning. How are you, Chatsworth? Welcome, Stembiso. Yes, Sakina. How are you? Well, thanks. And you? I'm doing well. I just want to find out who is Mangani Machuel? Are we speaking about? Uh, are we speaking about? Is it the one who is a spokesperson um, for the president? Uh, Kajal. Um, now I'm calling you Kajal again. <laughs> no, um, we we're not talking about uh, about uh, uh, the, the person you're referring to, uh, Bongani Majola. Um, he, you know, he's. I've gone over his kind of employment history and uh, from what it appears to be, he's a very good candidate. All right. Uh, Lorraine in Morningside, good morning. Hi. Uh, I'd like to speak on Mr. Mtembu, whose um, CV was the first one you guys analyzed. And I'd just like to warn the public against having their names on letterheads, fancy directorships, which is all about feathering their own nests, which should actually be about the communities they serve. I don't want to judge him or preempt it. I'd just like to hear, during his tenure as serving in the taxi industry, which is littered with whatever you want to call it, can he please tell us what he did to change the lives of communities affected by what happens negatively in the taxi industry? And I'd also like to know if there is a judge who's uh, challenged one of the major issues we have in this country, such as, for instance, affirmative action, whether he knew that there would be public discord about how he felt about it, but challenged it nevertheless. Thank you. Bye. You know, I think the fact that listeners are raising questions, important questions about these candidates, speaks to what I think has been a bit of, you know, short-sightedness from the committee in terms of involving the public more. The public needs to be involved at the various intervention points for this process, and one of them is submitting questions to the committee in order for them to be processed, Uh, not just objections but also questions, and we think that that could be really done better, um, that process needs to be, um, you know, in, kind of included as part of this and in the public involvement must be much more substantial. Mm. People are saying that uh, the guests are looking for a perfect person that actually does not exist. And also uh, Tsepo saying, I think if the candidates are all qualified and have the relevant experience, it's fine. Civil society is being political on this one. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. But uh, Rowena did indicate that they would be continuing this conversation on Morning Talk. So perhaps there'd be opportunity. Uh, we'll hand it over. We'll do a proper handover. And maybe Lawson, uh, maybe Leanne uh, Rowena would speak to you uh, further on these matters. But uh, where can people get hold of the information? Uh, someone is asking uh, Leanne. Look, we, you can get it from our uh, from our website, um, corruptionwatch.org.za. Every single document that we've submitted to Parliament, um, to the committee, all information on the process, on the institution, um, it's all available on our website. Well, thank you so much to our guests this morning, Lawson Naidu from KSAC and Leanne uh, Govansami from Corruption Watch. And as uh, Rowena Bird indicated earlier on, they will be taking more of this forward uh, during morning talk. So stay tuned. Right now, Greg Ho standing by with the latest news.